Assalamualaikum, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of MPL. Today, I'm joined by my good friend and a guest who is returning for the second time, Miguel. You might have seen him on one of our previous episodes way back in, I think, like January, February, somewhere around that time, where we did an episode on the experiences of revert Muslims. And uh, yeah, Miguel, you want to just introduce yourself, talk a little bit about yourself. And uh, yeah, man, take it away. Assalamu alaikum, everyone. My name is Miguel. Uh, some people know me as Miguel the Muslim. Uh, I've been a revert to Islam for three years now. And alhamdulillah, it's been a beautiful experience. Grateful to be back on the podcast. And uh, I'm excited to contribute to the conversation. Awesome. Well, thank you for coming. <laughs> Um, the, the episode or like the topic that we wanted to focus on today was a little bit kind of highlighting our own thoughts on like what Islamic parenting is, because I feel like when I've talked to a few different folks on it, um, there hasn't really been like a general consensus on what it means to parent well or what Islamic parenting kind of is. I think a lot of people also sometimes just confuse it with the idea of throwing your kids around Muslims, which I, I don't know if that's something that you agree or disagree with, but yeah, just like in general, that's where the conversations are going to fo be focused on. But before we get there, I wanted to start off a little bit more lighthearted. I wanted to ask if your parents or what are some things that your parents have done for you in terms of like, your religion or just like your character development as a whole that you're really, really grateful for. So anyone want to take it away first? Should I go first? yeah go for it <laughs> okay so something my parents did that I really appreciated growing up and it's something that kind of made um my journey with my own faith a lot easier was that I could always go to my parents and ask them questions about Islam and I never got a response that was like no you should believe in this just because and that's that you're not allowed to ask questions you're not allowed to argue um, that was never a thing in my household. Like I always used to have, um, and it was actually a bonding experience with me and my parents, to be honest, because we would just have like all of these like super like interesting conversations about Islam. And even when my parents didn't know the answer to my question, they'd be like, cool, we'll find out together. And my dad will literally pull out his books or like do a Google search or something and we'll learn something together. And so that's something I really, really appreciate. And hopefully I get to do with my kids as well. Yasmin, you want to go? Yeah, Um. so for me, I guess it was as a kid, I grew up going for Isha prayer at the mosque all the time. We would bike there. Um, and that was because like my brother, he would bike me there like all the time. And, you know, and I still remember this is this is like not related to Dean or anything, but so, at times I wasn't able to ride a bike. So like he had a big bike and then he would just make me sit on the railing and he, I would hold on to the, like, you know, the bars that you hold on to. And he would just ride me to the mosque. And I was like, ah, I'm like flying. But anyways, that's, anyways, I'll move on from that. But um, like that just came in my memory. So I had to like say it because it was, uh, I, yeah, I can't speak anymore. Anyways, emotional. Uh, <laughs> uh but it, it that was something very nice because now when I go to the mosque like I remember those times and I remember that peace and that peace comes back and you just feel really really good right and that is something I'm very grateful for because it reminds me that in order to get that peace I need to stick to my prayer so yeah yeah I guess I could go next um so I remember like since like grade six I I was like going to like an Islamic school and we like my parents so my dad at the time was living in the Middle East and my mom didn't drive so I would always take like the school bus but in the school bus it has like 20 students right and I was one of like the first like three or four to get picked up so I used to get picked up super early this was like a, you know bus used to come at like between like 6 45 and 7 and school started at like 8 30 so it was like really early and I remember my despite it being super early my mom would always wake me up like an additional 10 minutes early and the 10 minutes before the bus came it would always be like her like reading like these four or five du'as like morning akbar basically and she did that consistently every single day since I was in grade six all the way until grade 12 and it was like the same like set of du'as and like whatever and it's been so ingrained in my mind now that like 
even when I'm like going out to university because I'm not living with my parents, my mom will always send me like a morning sex. Like, how are you? Make sure you read all the du'as on the way to like university or whatever. And like, it's just like so natural now. So like every time I step out of the house, even like unconsciously, I'm just reciting them. It just, it just happens, right? And honestly, like, I, this is so bad, but like until very recently, I, I didn't think of even like diving into like what those mean. I just did it. I was like, I, I memorized that, whatever, I'm just going to read it. But when I actually searched the meanings of it, it was very focused on like, you know, protection, protection from the evil eye, making sure like, you know, um, you start up your day on like a really good note. And a lot of people you speak with, they're like, one of the best things you can do in the morning, in the evening is like you wake up with like the remembrance of Allah and you go to sleep with the remembrance of Allah, right? So that's something I really appreciate. I really took for granted, not going to lie. But uh, yeah, that's something that that I, I am thankful to my mom for. Yeah. All right, Miguel, your turn. Yeah, uh, I think obviously not growing up in a, a Muslim household. Um, I think the one thing I am grateful for, though, is that like core belief of God growing up. And that's something that my mom emphasized. Like she wanted to be a nun at one point. So like, obviously, it was very important to her. And uh, she definitely passed that down to uh, my brother and I. Uh, so having that belief in God growing up and being around and, and praying and stuff like that for me was it was essential and uh, especially like dealing with everything that would happen throughout, uh, during the day. Um, any tough things that would go on, stuff like that, I knew I could always rely on God at the end of the day um, to get through that day. So, yeah. Nice. All right. So. That, that, that was like a nice like wholesome way to start this episode but I wanted to get into a little bit more of like the meaty conversation and this is a super broad topic so feel free to you know agree disagree share whatever you want um but I'm curious what I guess the term Islamic parenting means to everyone and do you think there is such a thing as being successful at Islamic parenting because I feel like oftentimes success is measured against like an outcome but I don't know if measuring, you know, the, I guess the Muslimness of your child or, you know, how like religious they are or whatever. I don't know if that's necessarily a good metric to compare something against, because I personally know um, like cousins and whatnot where same parents, but just like kids turn out different because they have different personalities. Some just are more inclined to religion than others. And so, yeah, curious to kind of hear your thoughts on that overall uh, topic anyone please i think uh i'll just jump in on this i think at the end of the day uh islamic parenting what it really means to me is is teaching it comes down to teaching your children and bringing them having like developing their relationship with allah so that when they're by themselves or when they're on their own that their iman is very strong no matter what comes their way i think that's on a parent to help establish in the child now um, having that firm like foundation of believing in Allah and, and following the teachings of Islam, I think is essential. Um, but it goes more than that. I think at the end of the day, as a, as a parent, it's your responsibility and everything like that to raise your children in a proper way, to teach them everything that's that they need to do so that when they have their family of their own, it continues. It's not just a one-off thing where it's like oh there's one muslim here and then their kids are like oh i have no idea what islam is i never learned about it growing up right because there's so many people i've met that come from a muslim family but it was never taught to them so they don't know where to go to find it so they uh, either don't believe in it or when someone questions them about it, they don't know how to answer it stuff like that and i think a perfect example of what i think is a beautiful thing about parenting is it's like you said your your parents taught you the duas that you'd recite when you leave the house and i think the beauty in that is every time you recite that dua your parents are getting a reward from it right so at the end of the day it's helping out your children and in return it's helping out you in the long run right because everyone at the end of the day we're muslim for a reason we believe in god and eventually we inshallah make it to jannah right like there's things that we want to set up all along the way to to make our lives easier and better our lives so yeah it's teaching at the end of the day Everything Miguel said, just a hundred. But I also wanted to add on to that and say that, like, to me, um, a part of Islamic parenting is also, like, from a parent's perspective, is emulating the values that you want your children to have. 
because if you're teaching your children things that like qualities that you don't have in yourself, it's going to be very, very difficult for them to take those on. Right. And so I think like a huge part of it is making sure that you're, you're consistently working on yourself as a Muslim so that you can show them like at, at home, they have, they have the best version of a Muslim of you that they can like, you know, use as like a reference or like a, um, what's it called? Role model, be a role model to them. You stole my word. I was going to say a role model. <laughs> Sorry. Wow. Anyway. You guys stole everything from me. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, but I do, I want to add um, that like, like, you know how Miguel, you said that it's, it should be like, you're getting rewards for what you're teaching your kids, right? You raising your kids in the Islamic manner or on the principles of Islam is a form of sadaqah for you right you 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 you're you're getting charity like it's like it's not i don't know how to explain it but like you it's it's sadaqa that carries on even if yeah. you're if you're you die i don't mean to be that <laughs> like but but like you move on in life yeah yeah your kids teach their kids and their kids teach their kids so on so on you're still getting those good deeds you know and that for me that is successful parenting also, um, you know, a lot of us, we are born Muslim and we struggle, like you said, some people don't know um, certain things about Islam because of culture. And a su successful parenting is when you can clearly define what Islam is and you do not incorporate culture that basically devalues Islamic principles. So yeah, that's what, that's what I wanted to say. I actually really like the the teaching analogy that Miguel said, and uh, and and like what I think what both Miguel and Ronda said kind of perfectly encapsulates like the knowledge aspect as well as like the actions because you know if you can teach someone more than what you actually would practice, but also practicing those things that you teach is super super important. And like another analogy that someone once gave to me is like you know when. Like Miguel, you're going to be a teacher, right? You know, when you like teach students like a handful of different concepts, let's say you teach them like five or six concepts, but then when the time of the exam comes, you know, it's upon the student to analyze the question and understand what specific concepts to use because you're not going to use all five or six of them. And so someone once described it to me as like a toolkit. And it's like you're essentially developing their toolkit and giving them like all of the resources, like potential resources that they could need at a certain point in time. But when the time comes when they're kind of out on their own, you know, they've grown up, whatever, they need to be able to understand what resources they have at their disposal and use the right tools to deal with it, right? And those tools could be, you know, character development, uh, being knowledgeable in your dean, you know, being able to like perform all the acts of worship, yada, 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 right? So that's how, so I really like like the two, the, the mixture of both of the, both of what you guys said. Um, but yeah, going, going to the second part of the question on like what kind of defines successful Islamic parenting, like what are your guys' thoughts on that? Do you think there is such a thing as like being successful, quote unquote, as a parent? I think there's definitely like a, like I couldn't say it like on a scale if it exists, but I think there's like certain things that you can like check off on a list that would be essential in that like I feel like at the end of the day, as a parent, if your kids can go out in the world and be a good example to others as a Muslim, like they pray, they do all these things that, or they make the effort to better themselves continuously. Because obviously at the end of the day, no one's a perfect Muslim. So to say, oh, my child's perfect Muslim, they're straight A's and stuff like that, 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 that gets thrown out the window, right? Um, but I think being, knowing that as a parent, you can put your trust into your child that when they're on their own, they're not going against Islamic values. And I think for me, that would be what successful Islamic parenting is. It's like, oh, when they're out with their friends, they're going to make the effort to go pray. They're not going to go to a club. They're not going to go drinking, stuff like that. I think if I can have that trust in my child, then I consider myself as a successful parent teaching Islamic principles. What do you think, Faison? You're always putting us on the spot. You won't uh, last. Whoa. I don't like that you put me on the spot here. I thought I was supposed to be the moderator. Uh, what do I think? Um, I think like I, I see where Miguel is coming from 
and I, I kind of, I, I appreciate like your, your insight, but I still feel like there's a heavy emphasis on like the end outcome, right? Whereas I kind of see like parenting as sort of like a process where to your point, it's like there's certain things that you should do, like you should be educating them, you should be putting them in an environment where, you know, um, like, for example, taking them to like uh, the masjid for like Isha prayers and like things like that. And then like the process ideally would lead to a favorable end outcome but i think parenting is making sure the process that you're doing is to the best of your abilities and the end outcome is kind of just like hopefully like they end up like turning out to be like a really good kid but at the end of the day you can't really control that because like i said for us as parents we're supposed to be giving them the tools and resources if they choose not to use those tools and resources then I don't think it's fair to hold the parents accountable for their lack of doing so. And so, yeah, like if they're out with their friends, you would hope that you've instilled enough faith in them and like education in them so that they would go and make time out to go pray and whatever. But should they not go out and pray, you're not going to be held accountable on the day of judgment, unless they're like 12 years old. I'm like, yeah, okay, you will be, right? But if they're like 20 or whatever, and you've done all you could, then ultimately, you know, it's like, I guess what I'm trying to say is like on the day of judgment, when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala asks you, you should be able to say like, I literally, I tried my best. The outcome was kind of out of my hand, you know? Sure. Yeah. No, I, 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 I agree. I think what you said actually ties into examples in the Quran where parents, like there's been prophets who are parents and their children go against what they're doing. But at the same time, it's like they did everything they could. So yeah, I kind of agree with what you said. The process is, what's more important as opposed to the outcome because the outcome at the end of the day is already written so yeah yeah i i want to add like i love what you said miguel because like if you look at prophet lut his own wife was like went against him right and that's your wife that's like the closest thing to you and uh his son uh was against him like you know you 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 spend your entire time you you can you can only do what you can you can give as much as you can but you there there is a limit like you can't you can't control a 20 year old you can't change their values and their thoughts they are who they are then but what you can do is from the beginning try your best and I think um as parents we need to do that and we need to work really hard on that and then um I don't I don't like saying leave it to Allah then after but like you did your best and now it's their path towards Allah right and honestly just pray for your kids like prayer mm-hmm. goes a long way so mm-hmm. yeah I don't know if this is like a hadith or like if I just heard this so like don't like quote me on this but I've heard that like the the power in the dua of a father is so immensely high and so especially for like you know the future fathers it's like really really important for you to like pray for your kids and pray that they turn out really well and i pray for their well-being and all of that so yeah okay now kind of shifting the topic a little bit from like i guess more like conceptual one of the things that i've personally noticed in kind of my few years at islamic school and i don't know if yasmin can relate to this but i feel like sometimes parents what they do is they will, you know, they have the money, alhamdulillah, they put their kids in this Islamic environment, they put them in an Islamic school, but they kind of leave it at that, like they kind of almost offload like the parenting responsibilities to the teachers and whoever else is there at the Islamic school. And within the home, like there's no additional work that's actually put in from their end, they're not actually sitting down with them, you know, educating them, you know, showing them how it is like to be a good Muslim, whatever. And so, that's kind of a trend that I've noticed like more in like Islamic schools. Um, so what are your thoughts on kind of just kind of placing your kids in an Islamic environment and like hoping that it works out? And re- do you think that's enough? Or do you think that, you know, there should be something additional? Because I, I can also understand the parents who do do that because, you know, parents are busy, you know what I mean? Like they have things to do as well. And so, yeah, just curious, what are your thoughts on that? I'm going to go first on this one because I have a lot to say. Um, First thing is that, yes, you send your child to school and everything, but when you, when they come home, you have to work 10 times harder. 
on them. Like you, like I look at my nieces and nephews and I don't think they, if my sister had just left them the way, like just left them at school like that, they wouldn't be, they wouldn't have that motivation to memorize the Quran or that kind of stuff, you know? And when growing up, my mom would always say, your teacher is the level of your mother. And when I think about that now, I'm like, my teacher put so much hard work on me. Like she did, she had like, she had to do a lot of hard work to get me where I am in school. But then coming home, my mom had to do the same thing, right? And for me, like in my head, my mom put the put those two things at the same level. That showed that I had to, I had to give that amount of respect to both parties, and I had to work. I also had to work as much hard towards my dean and towards my schoolwork. Second thing is that I I know a lot of parents who've done this, and literally we all went to high school then, and. I like, I'll, I'll say that maybe three or four of us from my grade are still Muslim. Unfortunately, not unfortunately, alhamdulillah, we are Muslim, but it's sad to know that the person that used to give adhan every day is not Muslim anymore, you know? And, and that I can see it's because the parents just less, le left the responsibility to the school, right? And sorry, just give me one second. I need to re I need to read the question one more time. <laughs> okay, so yeah, and those same parents you would go to their house and everything, blasting music, you know, pool parties, everything like that, and mixed parties, you know. Um, you, you, yeah, you're going to go teach your kid an environment. You're telling them they're a Muslim. But what is this hypocrisy? You're teaching them hypocrisy. You're teaching them that it's okay to live two lives. Right? Am I making sense? I'm just really nervous right now. Why <laughs> are you nervous? Okay, because I'm like literally dripping in sweat right now. <laughs> literally oh, yeah. your podcast. Huh? It's you are on your own podcast. Why are you nervous? I don't know, man. Today I feel like I'm saying today is a bad day. <laughs> That's all. But yeah. And go, thinking about all these, okay, going back now, thinking about all these cases, um, I, I feel very much scared that I don't want to, I don't want to do that to my kids, right? I don't, I, I don't want my kids to leave Islam. Yes, it's on them. It's between them and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, but you, I still have that fear. And like, I've made this the condition that you know, I, I'm the moment my kids start school or something and they hit a certain age, I'll start working again, but I'm not working because I need to make sure that they come home and I am not a hypocrite because I hate hypocrisy. And like when you when you read when you read Surah Al-Baqarah and you start at the beginning, Allah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala expresses how much he dislikes the munafiq. The, hip, the hypocrite, right? And I'm like, I don't want to be amongst those people. And I don't want my kids to be raised amongst those people, right? And I, I need to make sure that I'm doing as much as I can to make sure that we, like, we are strong and we, we are on the right path for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa So, yeah. Miguel, what do you think? I think, I, I think in short, uh, is Islamic school enough? Absolutely not. I think just to throw your kids in there and be like, they're gonna be a number one super Muslims by the time they come home at three o'clock. Absolutely not. I think uh, I, I personally wouldn't actually put my kids in an Islamic school. I would put them in classes. I wouldn't enroll them solely directly in an Islamic school. I would not put them in public school. Now based on my upbringing, I went to Catholic school. And when you go to Catholic school, from my experience, you do grow up in a bubble because you're only surrounded by like-minded people and stuff like that. You're all following one idea. And I think when you go to something like a public school, 
you're surrounded and exposed to many different people from many walks of life, which I think is very important in developing uh, as, a, as a child growing up in a diverse community of people. I think that's essential. Um, but at the end of the day, when you grow up in this bubble, it can actually harm you more than it can, uh, what's it called? It can harm you more than it can develop you. And that's not to say that like all schools and all that are alike, but putting them into an Islamic school, I think Islamic education is very, very important, just to clarify. I think that kids should be enrolled in these classes to learn and develop. And I think that is so essential. But to drop them off at three o'clock, uh, drop them off in the morning and then come back at three o'clock and expect that's just enough for your child to develop the relationship with Allah and stuff like that, it's, it's not. I think as a parent, especially how I see it is uh, your kids are going to be a carbon copy of you as much as like we look at our parents are like, oh, my gosh, I'd never be like that. I'm going to change this. I'm going to improve this. I've worked with so many kids and I'm going to say 75 to 80 percent of them are exactly like their parents spot on to a T when they're going to grow up in 20 years. They're going to be doing the exact same thing, the exact same attitude, very, very, very similar traits. So. At three o'clock, when you pick up your kids, you have to also instill those values of Islam that tie into everything. So it, it it's it's not enough. You have to continue it. And I think being exposed to uh, a public education, for example, is is good. But then in the evening, you also have to supplement that with that Islamic education as well. And it's not just like no, you're going to go to Quran Tajweed class for for six hours and then we're going to call it a day. No, it's it's. It's leading by example, that's that's teaching. It's uh, teaching them du'as and stuff like that. It's surrounding them with like-minded people that you can develop with, like having people that, as a parent, that you're close to who also have children who are also on that level that you can bring together, that everyone's on that same walk of life together. I have a, I have a quick question for you, actually. You know how Yasmin was talking about how in uh like the people from her islamic school they kind of like they're just not like muslim anymore did you notice that while being catholic school do you did you notice like a trend of people just kind of straying away from like religiosity as a whole like once they left that environment definitely i think as people get older i think when things are kind of forced onto them i think people are gonna just kind of like back off and and try and find escape out of it into something that they haven't explored yet right so when it comes to for example growing up and going to catholic school catholicism is pushed every single day in the morning we see in o canada and then we do our morning prayers and catholic school growing up you take religion courses throughout everything right you go to mass they actually have mass within the school they do that every now and then so these things are always pushed on to you it's always uh, it's always like kind of there now, obviously, when you push things on people and force it on them, people are going to always try and find an escape from that if they don't uh, enjoy it. And the thing that I noticed a lot, especially when it comes to religion, when you force it on people, they're always going to back off. Even from my experience, if someone forced Islam on me, I'd be like, no, back off, leave me alone. And I would never become Muslim, right? You have to kind of like put, you have to like lay the, the foundational like pillars and then Hope that they do the best like like you said it's that toolkit so Rhonda, what do you think i feel like i so i grew up in the states i was homeschooled up until i was like in the sixth grade but i did go to islamic school for preschool kindergarten and first grade i think and i would say that i would put my kids into islamic school but I wouldn't make them sit through Islamic school up until they graduate high school. Like it would just be during like the earlier years because I feel like those are the years where you really want to build that strong foundation. And I feel like if at home I'm trying to teach them certain things and then they go to public school, for example, and other things are pushed onto them, I feel like that could be very confusing for a child. Um, and so I feel like I would want to form that foundation and then maybe take them to high school. But like Miguel said, the way I would do it is I wouldn't like, I wouldn't want it to be in a way where my kids feel like they're forced to be Muslim. And I think this is the important part of like when your kids come back home from school, 
asking them what they learned in school because something I found with Islamic school is a lot of times teachers will tell you, oh, we believe this, but there's no elaboration. So it is pushed onto you. And for a lot of kids, that's not going to sit right with them. So I would need to make sure that they're learning Islam the right way. Like that's my job to double check and not just rely on how the teachers are teaching it. And I also, and Yasmin mentioned this earlier, a lot of people bring in culture and religion. I don't know if all the teachers at the school are like very explicitly creating that, you know, differentiating that because I don't want my kids to be absorbing, you know, any misinformation either. So yeah, I would send them to Islamic school, but they probably wouldn't be there up until they graduate high school. Yeah. You know, Ramza, I, I'm just going to add on to something that you you said, like um, there there were times in Islamic school where like, you know how how we, when we pray and we go, we come back from sujood and you're supposed to sit away that your your one foot needs to be bending and like it needs to be like this. You yeah, know what I mean? like yeah. pointing yeah. like straight, right? Yes. Like your toes, yeah. yeah. Anyways. So the one teacher, our Islamic studies teacher, she was like, oh, you Pakistanis, you do it like this. And us, us Arabs, we do it like this. That's what I and, mean. And we do it the correctly. Mm-hmm. And you guys are doing it wrong. And I'm just there and I'm like, uh, what? Like, you're not supposed to be creating division in an Islamic school, mm-hmm. you know? And like, it, it, there were there were like even certain things I'm not trying to go on hating on Islamic school now but like you're you I don't want my kids to be exposed to division and that kind of stuff either you know like putting putting only the Arab speakers in front of the line to get the microphone to say the da like no <laughs> I I want my I want my kid to have the chance to uh, recite the da <laughs> you know so like those kind of things I don't want them to feel left out I don't want them to feel I don't want them to feel left out knowing that they are Muslim but because but because they are associated with a certain identity also that they're treated lower class because of that so yeah honestly I don't have like a fully like wait hold on Miguel were you gonna say something no, I was going to add on, I think, especially as a, like someone who's becoming a teacher, I think that's one of the most critical things is they always, there's like a teacher bias almost with everything. And I think that was a perfect example of, of that teacher bias that can really make or break a student's education right there, right? Like imagine being that child being like, no, what you're doing isn't good enough just because of where you come from, right? Like, oh, this is better this way because we're, we're out of like, that's something that like as someone who's going into teaching it 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 bothers me so much because like children are so like sensitive to so much information and something like that can like just just that alone can throw someone off completely off their education right just because the teacher is uh someone who's a teacher is in a position of power and children look up to their teachers and imagine the teacher just completely like throwing where you come from or your background or what your identity is out the window because they want to push their own ideology or agenda. That's not necessarily like hundred percent true all the time. So Yeah. Like one other thing I was going to add was I feel like in an Islamic school, teachers are kind of held at like a pedestal and I feel like it's an expectation of them, whether this is right or wrong, I don't know, but it's an expectation of all teachers at an Islamic school to be a source of guidance to the children. And the thing is, when you come in is like, like I remember um, when I was in like grade 10, we had this science teacher. She didn't last long. Um, she would like say some like really wild things. And like, she was really good at teaching science, but it was clear that like Islamic studies was not her area of expertise. And so when the parents and the administration found out that like, she was talking about things other than science and it's not that she shouldn't have but it was just misinformation and she was like pushing like weird ideologies all the kids were just like really confused and you know we're a little bit older like in grade 10 so like she got some pushback from the students but still like to your point it's that if you kind of expect a a person who's 
supposedly supposed to take care of your children also being misinformed on like a lot of basic Islamic principles. And even then they're going out of their way to teach you that, even though that's not their area of expertise, it's going to have a pretty harmful impact on the development of your child. And again, I don't know if this is good or bad. Like, I don't know if every single teacher at an Islamic school should have like some sort of like base level of like level of understanding. I don't know if that should be the case or not, but yeah, I think that's uh that's an interesting thing. And I think like another thing is, I, I don't know if I would, I, I think I definitely would want to, if I can afford it, like send my children to Islamic school. But the thing is nowadays, they're so, so expensive. And the thing is, because all of the, I guess like, you know, well-known schools or whatever, like there's a few, they're so expensive. There's also now like, like newer, smaller Islamic schools that are opening up. And then like a lot of the times these smaller ones, because they're cheaper, if you can't like afford to pay like a really high salary for like a quality teacher, the quality of teachers are also going to be lower because they're going to use that as a stepping stone. Like even when I went to Islamic school, the turnover was really high because they would come in for a couple of years, use that as a stepping stone and then move on to like going to like a public school board just because, you know, there is, they just don't have the resources or the financial like acumen to like keep those teachers there. And so like a high level of turnover also isn't that good because you can't really filter through like a good pool of teachers and that's not the teacher's fault either, because like, you know, you, you want to get compensated for your for your profession and you want, you know, if you believe you're worth something, go, go and get it. Right. So that's also like another thing. So it's like if you hold these teachers on a pedestal and then also the quality of teachers is like slowly decreasing, especially because you can't afford like whatever, like the higher tier is, then especially in something like that, only relying on that environment. Oh, man, it's probably going to cause more harm than good, I guess. All right. Thank you for listening to the episode. Oh, I'm kidding. Um, I'm just thinking of like the, the questions, like, do you want to send your kid to some school? I think I would. I just don't know the timeline. Like, you guys seem to have like a kind of like a timeline in your head where like, oh, I'd send them like the early part of their like childhood or like the later part of their childhood. I genuinely don't know. Like for me, the way it worked is I grew up in the Middle East. So like it was in an Islamic school, but it was like mostly Muslim people there. And then I went to public school for a couple of years and then grade six onwards, I went to an Islamic school and I guess it worked for me, but I know for other folks that followed a similar journey, kind of similar to what Yasmin said, like now they're not really that in tune with their Islam. Some really are, like some are like really good people, like they lead like, you know, Taraweeh, whatever, but then others are just like, they barely pray, they're, you know, doing like the wrong things, whatever. So I don't really know what the formula is here, but yeah. I think, I think it's, I guess what you feel is good. You, you'll, you'll see the patterns with your children. You'll see how their personality is like. Um, but yeah, I'm in the same situation as you, Faison. I really don't know when I would, but there would be a certain portion where I'd want them to be exposed to the public school uh, lifestyle. Um, and but yeah, like there, I, I, I don't think there is a formula, but I, I think at the end of the day, it depends on you and it depends on the kids and yeah, like what are, how, how capable are you to be able to teach them and motivate them and eat your brain, you know? So yeah, it requires a lot of patience. So you'll see, I guess, when the time comes. Okay jump in on and say like I don't think there's like a perfect timeline because there's especially here in the west there's there's so many factors that come into play uh in terms of the education system especially when it gets into the Islamic uh Islamic one I think I can really appreciate what Randa said though especially having them going in at a young age I think even for me I'd see I'd see the appeal in that and I'd actually really consider sending my kids at a young age from like JK to like maybe grade six five six I think the, those years are really essential in getting that exposure that they wouldn't get at like a public school. But I think after that, that's when I'd say maybe switch it up. So because at the end of the day, in the West, we like it's not an Islamic society, right? So people are going to have to be exposed to non-Muslims at some point, right? And I think when you go to a non-Islamic school or you go to an Islamic school, you're only surrounded by Muslims, right? So I think that's like the only like, trade-off here in the west because i think up till grade six or even more not to bash anyone that went uh, all the way through high school because obviously there's 
there's a key element and there's a beautiful thing about being able to go pray at any point in time and stuff like that. On Juma, you can, there's no class schedule during your time with Juma, right? But I think it's, it's essential for, for children to be exposed to that part where, which is Islamic during the day. And then that part growing up as they get older that we don't live in an Islamic society as well. So, so you're bashing me basically. <laughs> no, no, no. You're, you're an example of how the system works. You know, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. You know, for, for me, I think my family would have put me in public school, but there was a huge gap between me and my siblings that they were scared. So they put me in, they put me in Islamic school my entire life, but I was in so many like extracurricular activities and they would put me in extracurricular activities where I didn't have any friends from my school that are going there. They'd be like, no, we're putting you in this one instead, just so I could expand my social circle and my skills. Um, and yeah, there, there was one more thing that I wanted to say and it was a really, really good point, but I forgot. But yeah, so we'll come back to it. Wait, could I, could I ask you guys a question slash share a thought? So I, I understand the appeal and sending your kids at a young age, right? And I, I'm going, like what I'm about to say is going off of what I've heard from people. I'm not a parent, so I don't know how kids actually are. But from generally, I've heard that like in the first like six, seven years of like a child's life, they're a lot closer to their parents in terms of their attachment. They're more willing to like listen to them, learn from them, whatever. And then after that point, they become a lot more dependent on their environment and their social circle. You know, they're more likely to do something that their friends are doing and, you know, things like that. And so if we're going off of that, wouldn't it also make sense to like flip what you said? So like in the first six or seven years, it kind of wouldn't matter if they were at an Islamic school, because if you're doing the right things as a parent and teaching them what they need to learn, then they're likely to retain all of that information. But then once they get into that stage where they're a lot more impressionable by those around them, then it would make more sense to, you know, after grade five or six to, instead of them send, sending them to a public school, to rather send them to an Islamic school. And like the example I use in this, like, and this something that like I thought about is like, we didn't have to go through learning about like, you know, homosexuality, this and that, but the kids growing up, they do, right? Chances are they're not going to be taught that sort of stuff. Maybe they'll be exposed to it a little bit and like, grade one, grade two, grade three, whatever, but it's going to be pushed onto them a lot more as being normal. And when they're a lot older, like going through like, you know, middle school, high school, whatever. And if in that sort of environment, if you're put in a situation where things like that are kind of taught to you more from like an Islamic lens, then it might allow you to kind of explore that area, but more of like a safer setting as opposed to just taking what you think at face value, because, you know, we discussed that kids look up to the teachers as role models but i don't think that's only with muslim teachers like i think muslim kids will also look up to their non-muslim teachers as role models and if that's something that's being taught to them as being normal or okay they might eventually go through like an identity crisis and you know they might start adopting uh mentalities like oh my religion's like barbaric and i backward and like whatever whatever and so just kind of like food for thought Should I go first? Wait, no, Miguel, you go ahead. No, no, please. No, no, you go on. <laughs> I'm really curious where, where you're going to go with this. Okay. Um, I feel like, I feel like part of my answer to this question would go back to what you asked us in the very beginning um, about what it means to be a successful parent. I feel like in those earlier years in their life, like up until they're like 10 years old, for example, if you equip them with enough knowledge about their faith that they have the confidence to know that what they believe in is right. Once they get into high school, yes, they will be met with a lot of people who are gonna question what they believe in. But if you did a good job as a parent to give them that confidence, to believe that what they believe in is right, it's, it, they're just gonna, they're gonna adapt to it. Like they're gonna be fine. Because I feel like if, so you said that like your kids won't listen to you when they become teenagers, they're also not gonna listen to their teachers. <laughs> like, teenagers are teenagers <laughs> okay like can I jump in here for a second that's true like it's not necessarily like teenagers but if like the the idea of certain things that go against their religion are so normalized it's also like your peers and your classmates that are like they are normalizing that and so yeah they might not listen to your teachers but they are going to be influenced by those around them right 
that's true but isn't that gonna but aren't they eventually gonna go to university and they're gonna be in a non-muslim environment anyways that is true however i think you know assuming that an individual has the same level of maturity and knowledge and confidence at 11 versus 18 is very very different for sure but i feel like that kind of comes with like see i'm trying not to project my own experience because i don't think like everyone has their own experience but i feel like because um a like i was homeschooled so the bulk of my islamic knowledge came from my parents like in the morning we had normal school and then at night we had islamic school <laughs> like that was my that was my dad's job um and so by the time we ended up going to school like i started going to school in middle school and i actually started going to school when we moved to qatar so it was actually a muslim country but i was still met by a lot of muslims challenging me for being a practicing muslim but because i feel like my parents did a really good job like making me confident in what i believe in it didn't really kind of, it like i i didn't really you know feel like it anyone's like what anyone else was doing or anyone else was saying about my faith changed my opinion about my faith so i don't know i feel like i feel like it's very subjective on like your kid and like what they've experienced and stuff like that too this is it's so difficult it's so difficult uh, but yeah Miguel, what, add you, what do you have to say? <laughs> yeah, no, no I, because uh, the whole thing is like, I think at that elementary level, building that foundation is essential because in high school, and I'm sure people who went to Islamic school in high school, there's usually two extremes. There's the kids that are taking Islamic school very seriously. And then there's the other half of kids that are put into Islamic school because their parents are like, my child, my, I have a troubled child. I'm going to put them in Islamic school to correct them. So in terms of saying that going to Islamic school is going to fix everything, I, I don't think that's a thing because at the end of the day, you're going to be faced with those challenges no matter where you go, public school, Islamic school, there's always going to be um, people around them that are going to pressure them regardless. Because at the end of the day, you go to someone, if you go to a public school, public high school, there's going to be kids drinking. You go to an Islamic high school, there's kids drinking, they're just more quiet about it. You know what I mean? So what's more dangerous, it being in front of you or it being kept a secret and uh, sometimes you don't, the children don't know how to adapt to it because it's like so out of the blue and it's unexpected, right? If it's in your face, you're going to obviously be like, no, I don't want any of this. I don't want to be a part of it, right? Because you can do that because you've been exposed um, to both sides. You grew up in this Islamic thing, Islamic household. Islamic school that kind of like built you up and then when you go to high school it's like oh those are the kids over there that drink those are the kids that smoke I know about them but I know that it's best if I do my own thing because that's what I've been taught so far as opposed to when you're a kid and you're growing up and you're going to a public school for example you never really have that kind of enforcement or that like obviously your parents can teach you but like I think when you get like you get from both sides from this the school setting as a because you don't you're not going to have like a a 10 year old who's drinking right you're never going to have that exposure because everyone's going to be taught the same thing like this is halal this is haram this is sunnah stuff like that and that's going to be essential like randa said to develop that foundation so when they are exposed to those things they can hold firm in their beliefs even if they are going to be challenged by non-muslims or even muslims right you're going to know that growing up that this is how it was this is what makes sense and obviously it can't be forced onto your kids, but at the same time, they're going to be able to use that toolkit that they've developed to be able to, to make that difference. Because Islamic education is very subjective to who the teachers are and who the kids are in your class, right? At the end of the day, you could go to a public school and still be more educated in Islamic knowledge than, than someone who went to an Islamic school. It's what, it's like you said, it's like Randa said, Yasmin said, it's it comes down to the kid and their experiences and all that, as well as the parent, their experiences, how they allow the kids to develop in their own shoes. Because you can give them shoes to walk in, but if they don't fit the kid, it's never going to work at the end of the day. I want to, I want to <clears throat> add to what you two said, and that's what I, that's the story that I wanted to share earlier. Um, so one time, like earlier in the summer, my family went to a park, and I had Maynards, and they were like the sour cherry bombs. And 
usually as Muslims, when you have gummies, they usually have gelatin, but this didn't, right? And I was, I was, I was giving them around, around to all of my nieces and nephews. And there are a bunch of Muslim kids at the park staring at me, right? So then I'm like, I'm like, okay, like I know it's Corona, but like, I'm gonna offer anyways. Cause like, you know, you feel bad. And I know being that kid that, oh, I wanted those gummies, like, you know, as a, like, you know how they feel. So I go and I, I offer to them and they're like, okay, okay, thank you so much. But, but is it halal? They had the comp, like all of them. They're like, yeah, is it halal? All of them asked me. And I'm like, yes, it's halal. Yes, it's halal. And ever since that, I was like, I need to go talk to these parents. Like, who are these kids? Who are your parents that you have the guts to even ask a Muslim that is this a halal, right? So then I went and I talked to them and she, the mom is a teacher at the Islamic school, but her kids, they go to public school. And they're, they're really, really, they're tiny kids. Like they're probably four or five years old, some were eight, but they had the guts to ask me that is this halal. And then we, we brought out more snacks. There were chips, Doritos, Cheetos, all those things. They're like, is this halal? And I'm just there, I'm like, wow. <laughs> and I'm like, hey, my kid's gonna be like you. They're gonna have this confidence to take pride in their Islam and even ask a Muslim that, hey, is this halal? Even though like, you know, when a Muslim gives you something, you're not supposed to question it, right? But they, they, they had that much confidence. And like Randa said, you need to build that confidence in your kids to take pride in their Islam. So yeah. So moral of the story, parenting is hard. <laughs> I wanted to kind of end it out by kind of directing a question to Miguel because, you know, um like you said you haven't necessarily had like islamic upbringing and you reverted to islam about three years ago so i'm curious you know since you are a revert um what you would do differently from your parents throughout you know like your i guess catholic christian education and you know going through like that whole process and uh some of the things that you've learned from them that you would continue to implement when you do eventually get married and have kids and some of the things that you would do differently from them i think some things I keep the same, but obviously like implementing that or like instilling the whole belief system that God is there. I think obviously that's essential, especially as a Muslim. That 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 one is like a given, but I kind of have to like reiterate how important having those conversations with your kid about religion and stuff like that are so important. Um, now, things I do differently, obviously I'd raise the Muslim as opposed to Christian. I think that's also another given one, but um that's something I should uh, also mention, but I think some things that I would do differently would be surrounding uh, my children with other children who are focused, uh, how am I going to put this, like, with a similar mindset that, for example, uh, if they're going to, how am I going to put this? This is, it's really interesting because, like, I never really grew I, I grew up christian and my mom's super super christian and i never had like that kind of like environment where i was surrounded by like my like-minded christians right because to be honest in christianity there's not that many that are are practicing there's practicing christians but there's not that many and i think finding good friends as a parent that have children as well that can connect uh through all these islamic principles and ideologies and stuff like that that we can all agree on that aren't even up for debate to begin with, but are just essential. Um, I think that's important and surrounding your kid with that and having your kids go play with um, other Muslims. Because at the end of the day, when they do grow up, for example, they're gonna be, there's gonna be times where, uh, I think we've all been in that situation where uh, when you're Muslim and you're surrounded by non-Muslims, when you have to go pray, it's kind of like one of those things where it's like, do I go pray now? and and it's not that anyone's going to prevent you from praying, but when you're surrounded by Muslims, it's very easy to go pray. Everyone's like, okay, we're going to go pray now. It's Maghrib. It's time. Or if you're going out to a restaurant, when you're surrounded by Muslims, it's okay. We're going to obviously go to the halal spot. We're not going to go to somewhere that's not halal. So I think having that environment for, for my kids is going to be essential. And if I have to create that within my own house and have people come in and other children come in, that's something that I, I, 
I'd have to do or putting them in, in other environments, not necessarily uh, tied into Islam, but surrounded by other Muslims as well. So like if they're playing sports, if they can have, be on a team with that are more um, more people on the team or Muslim, for example, I, that's obviously a preference. It's not essential, um, but something like that, creating that environment that there's more people out there so that in the West, when they're like, oh, majority people don't eat halal or something like that, or they don't do this, or they don't follow these principles, they still have that core community that they can develop as a child that will only get bigger, that they can always go back to and, and feel at home. Right. I, you know, I, I always wondered, like, because a lot of people say that, you know, once you get out of school, university, whatever, once you get older, it's, it becomes a lot more challenging to develop that social circle, because often you're tied to you know, the, the people that you went to school with, or oftentimes you just become friends with like your kids, friends, parents, or whatever. So like, do you have any ideas in mind and how you would be able to kind of create that um, environment with like, you know, meeting other like Muslim parents and things like that? Because I genuinely don't know, like the easy answer is like, oh, masjid, right? But like, you know, you're not going to go to the masjid and be like, hey, does your kid play like under seven soccer? Like, like that's just weird. Um, but I'm just curious, like, have you, have you like given that thought and like how you'd be able to expand that? Yeah, I, I think to be honest, I, I benefit from coming into Islam from nothing. So everyone I've developed with, I've learned how to network and develop people. Um, I don't like the word networking for when you're making like friends, like networking is like, you're trying to advance in, like some business or something like that, but like growing that group of people that you can rely on. I think it comes down to putting yourself out there and obviously you can be that parent that picks their kids up from school and goes home and does nothing, right? Or you could be that parent that brings their kids to go volunteer at a food bank or something like that. Because there's going to be other people out there. There's going to be uh, other people doing the same thing with families and stuff like that. So typically, you're going to find more people by putting yourself out there. That's how, to be honest, how I, I meet people. Um, I think that's going to be essential for to teach my kid is that they can't just sit back and and hope that people come to them no they have to 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 go out and meet other people it's uh, on the last episode of the podcast i actually mentioned this like i, I initially i expected people to come to me and help me and eventually like after the first three weeks everyone's there for you but then that whole like honeymoon phase like i mentioned disappears and then that's when you have to kind of like be proactive and, and go out there like i joined the msa and stuff like that and i got involved with that so i met more people so you have to find ways to meet more people be it however endless possibilities that could be you just gotta go out there and and find people because to be honest you can meet a thousand people and even if it's just one person that you meet out of that thousand people that you can really click with and you find that there's a really good connection that's all that matters right it's not that meeting a thousand people and being friends with a thousand people no it has nothing to do with that it's finding that one person or two people that you can keep in that close circle that's essential that you can always rely on when you need help or something like that. Having that and bring that in is what, what, what it's all about. Yeah. No, that, that, that definitely makes sense. Now, let me know when you have kids. We'll make sure they, you know, play sports together. A little mini masjid parking lot uh, play session. Yeah, we'll do masjid parking we'll lot. We'll have a soccer league. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we'll have under fives, under tens, whatever. Um, the winning team gets to make a guest appearance on our podcast. Imagine interviewing like a five-year-old, like, so what did you think of the game? I scored. But anyways. And the wrong net. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, it's a thought that counts, right? Um, but honestly, that those are all the sort of thoughts that I had. If you know, if there's anything I missed, or if there's anything else you guys want to talk about, like open floor. But uh, yeah, I don't know. And anything else you guys want to add or anything else you guys want to chat about but i just want to say like in mississauga you guys have the muslim youth soccer soccer league and we had we we built it off from mississauga because the president moved here and so like do you guys still have that i think so like mysl right yeah mysl honestly i think so there's like a bunch of other like muslim soccer leagues that have popped up like i remember mysl used to be like the one um like miguel you know maa right i guess more for adults but like yeah yeah so like there's that like that's the one i participated in this past year there's just just like a bunch of other bunch of other like muslim run things and to be honest 
with the amount of Muslims in Mississauga, you don't even need to go to like a Muslim specific league to find Muslims playing. Like I have a lot of my Muslim friends who just go to like other leagues and it just like happens to be like majority Muslim folks there. Like interesting. Yeah. There's a lot of like there's a lot of Desi people in Mississauga. There's a lot of uh, like Arab people there. There's a lot of I wouldn't say the same amount, but there's like a decent amount of like Somali people there too. And so like you'll find a lot of Muslims just everywhere. I think that's just like the privilege of being in Mississauga and like how it's developed over the last 10 years. Because if you go back 10 years, to be honest, Mississauga is like completely different, right? Like in terms of population, because to be honest, Arabs weren't really here before. They were, but in very, very small numbers, right? Like now you go down the street from where we live and it's like, you can find 20 halal restaurants, five halal shops, uh, three, four masjids. It's like, it's so easy to to be to find something that you need as opposed to 10 years ago it's like oh the only masjid would be like 20 30 minute drive down the road and that mm-hmm. one halal butcher shop that was in like that corner plaza and that very very small like area it's like nah it's it's completely changed and that's just one of the privileges that we have of yeah mm-hmm. i you feel like what? Rhonda feels attacked right now because <laughs> she lives in like a small town um, she's gonna start the she's gonna start it there <laughs> yeah I should honestly start a soccer league for my kids there I mean I hope I'm not living there yeah the time I have kids oh my god but yeah what's it called um my my family and I we were talking the other day because my family immigrated in the 90s and they were they were talking about how 401 was just two lanes one like northbound the other one southbound and or no it's eastbound westbound what am I thinking north and south um but yeah uh literally and then they're like look at it now it's like turning into five lanes and like my mom was talking about like like she now feels so much more comfortable wearing brown clothes in Miss Saga and like these areas like you can literally walk around and like Webby's everywhere literally. like not left out at all like it's when, when when my brother was getting married um his his wife was from Toronto right and one day my mom was like, you need to wear uh, Pakistani clothes. And I'm like, okay. And then we go. And then she, my sister-in-law is like, let's go out. And I look at myself head to toe and I'm like, I'm not going out. And then she's like, no, sis, this is normal here. And I'm like, okay. And I literally, we're going on the bus and I'm like shaking and I'm like, okay, this is really weird. I feel so weird because it's not normal for me. But on the bus, literally ladies wearing saris and like, there's like so Somali men like wearing their cultural clothing and I'm like wow this is beautiful okay and so yeah I really like it yeah. I think I think this ties into to why I see public school as like kind of like that beautiful thing because you get to see so many different things right as opposed to like one kind of smaller narrow thing that everyone's kind of in right because at the end of the day, seeing getting that exposure, even if it doesn't mean anything, it's still good to be exposed to it. Yeah. Like even when we like remember the time we played soccer at like that field, like near Rick Hansen? Like yeah. that group is open to like literally anyone, but like 90% of the people there were like Muslim people. And it just happened to be like that was what it was. But yeah. yeah. Good times. Good times. Good times. Yeah. I still gotta. Listen, man, in my books, I got a double. I got a dub, so I'm happy. Uh, we'll play again. I don't know when. Um, but if you ever do, like, you know, um, like pickups at, like, uh, what is it called? Hershey's, or is it called, like, Paramount now? Let me know. Oh, Paramount runs? Ooh. Yeah, bro. Yeah. Uh-oh. Yeah. <laughs> Let's but do it. I'm down, man. But I guess, I guess that'll wrap up the episode. Um. I just want to say thank you to Miguel for joining. I I honestly really appreciated your insight. And I I like the teacher perspective that you brought because I personally had never thought of that. And like my roommate, he's a teacher. And like sometimes we have these type of conversations and it's interesting to hear like a different perspective as well. Um, so yeah, thank you for that, man. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to meet all of you. and Good to see you again, Faison. So yeah. of and thank you, Rhonda and Yasmin, for doing your job and being here. Appreciate it as always. And uh, yeah, I guess I guess we'll see you guys in the next episode. Peace. Yeah. You gotta cover the camera, bro. Cover the camera. Cover the camera. Yes. There we go. Job.